Negotiations have begun over the format for the 2020 presidential debates. The Trump campaign is suggesting four debates to be carried out with a choice between broadswords and spiked maces, with whoever first has his head crushed or completely severed declared the loser, and whoever ends up roaring in blood-drenched victory at the scarlet sky, securing the right to paint his half-naked body with the guts of his enemy and rename himself Kratos, God of War. The Biden campaign, conversely, is requesting a single debate lasting 17 minutes or until the beginning of nap time, whichever comes first. The venue will be at the window of Biden's cellar where his face will appear in a mask and sunglasses so that no one will notice when he's quietly replaced by a younger man who can still speak a coherent English sentence. The three moderators requested by the Biden campaign are one, Biden's day nurse, whom he fondly refers to as Nana, to old Mr. Willoughby, who drives the ice cream truck in Biden's neighborhood and frequently offers the candidate a free orange cream popsicle out of pity, and three, Chuck Todd. Questions are to be asked very slowly in a gentle voice so as not to awaken the candidate, and in the latter part of the debate, questions will be sung to the tune of Baba Black Sheep and accompanied by Joe's favorite music box. The Biden campaign reserves the right to vet questions to ensure they don't include any irrelevant subjects like math or how to run the country. A counteroffer from the Trump campaign suggests that all the debates be held on a single night, beginning with 15 rounds of bare-knuckle boxing at 8 a.m., then a break for steak and eggs, followed by a noontime wrestling match, and finally, after a dinner sausage-eating competition, a final debate where the two men simply scream into each other's faces. The Biden campaign says they'll return with their own counterproposal as soon as their candidate regains consciousness. <laughs> Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. All right. I didn't think I was going to get through that one, but I did. <laughs> We're back laughing our way through the fall of the Republic. We are grateful to you uh, for being here and also for going on YouTube and subscribing to the Andrew Claven YouTube channel. It is extraordinarily helpful to us. It doesn't take you but a second. So go and do it. We're also watching your uh, comments there uh, to see if there are any really good ones. We've got one from Slavy Pickles. I think we had one from Slavy Pickles before. This may be a, a double header for Slavy. He says, I actually get offended when you call Brian Stelter a woman because women are so much more level-headed than that knucklehead. <laughs> and that is that is true, Slavy. Uh, but remember, I always say it's not just that he's a woman, it's that he's a woman <laughs> who's actually a man, which is just not a good, a good look. Uh, um, about... <laughs> Is that, is that Brian crying um, or crying Brian, as we say? Uh, about a year ago, I had the distinct pleasure of teaching a brief seminar at Hillsdale College in the wilds of Michigan. Uh, I was the Eugene C. Pulliam Distinguished Visiting Fellow in Journalism. I just like to say that out loud. Hillsdale, as you probably know, is a very special place. They refuse to accept any government money, uh, even in the form of student loans and grants. So they're free to teach what they refer to as the good, the true, and the beautiful without government interference. They have always adhered to Christian principles, and recently, I believe, they openly identified uh, as Christian. While I was there, I called my wife back in L.A., and she asked me what it was like. And I told her it was like being sane. And it really was. It was this kind of quiet, 
weird feeling where suddenly I was back in a world where people said things that made obvious moral and aesthetic sense. And the fact that it jolted uh, against me shows you what it's like to live in L.A. I mean, it was also different, very different from the college students at most left wing universities that I go to uh, who, in my experience, are suffering from induced psychopathology. They have induced mental illness. They've been convinced that there is some kind of virtue in pretending to believe what they know for a fact isn't true, that men are women or that racism can be a cure for racism, or that killing babies is a right. All those things that the left teaches you that it's virtuous to pretend are true. Well, recently, Hillsdale's come under pressure to issue a statement on the current hysteria over race, and they've refused. Or what really they did is they issued a statement saying that everything they do, their classes, their philosophy, and their history of being founded by abolitionists, all of that speaks of what they believe. And here's part of what they said in this statement. They said, there is a kind of virtue that is cheap. It consists of jumping on cost-free bandwagons of public feeling and winning approval by espousing the right opinion. The fact that very real racial problems are now being cynically exploited for profit, gain, and public favor by some organizations and people is impossible to overlook. Hillsdale College will continue to do the work of education in the great principles that are, second only to divine grace, the solution to the grave ills that beset our times. While reading this, I was once again struck by the feeling, that same feeling of being there, of just simple sanity. It's, a we- it's weird because it's like a noise that suddenly stops. You know, it's not, like, it's not like you're seeing something new. It's that just all the noise of craziness suddenly stops. And I just suddenly realized how much courage it requires to be sane in a moment like this, which is a moment of madness. Public opinion right now seems to be moving toward the America-destroying, black-life-destroying Marxist front group, Black Lives Matter. And some Republicans are afraid to stand up to that induced insanity. They should be schooled by Hillsdale. The courage to be sane in a moment of madness is going to be remembered and rewarded when the madness passes. And we're going to talk about that madness passing. So pay attention and remember who has the courage to be sane. All right, let us talk about car shield. I don't know about you. I used to be able to fix cars. I used to be able to stick my head in a car and find out what was going wrong. I used to be able to change a tire, all these different things. Now, almost everything in a car is computerized and you can't do it. And when it breaks, it's expensive from electronically controlled transmissions, touchscreen displays, dozens of sensors. You can't fix this stuff yourself. So when something breaks, it can cost a fortune. And that's why you have to have CarShield. CarShield has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for a covered repair, including computers, GPS, electronics, and more. The people at CarShield understand payment flexibility is an absolute must. Monthly plans can be customized to your needs with rates as low as $99 a month. No long-term contracts or commitments. And CarShield gives you options. Others won't. You get to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. For as low as $99 a month, you can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands for a covered repair. Call 800-CAR-6000 and mention code Andrew or visit carshield.com and use code Andrew to save 10%. That's carshield.com, code Andrew. A deductible may apply. So, 
The left obviously believes this is their moment. They are really feeling it. Yesterday, we talked about Nicole Hannah-Jones declaring that she's honored. She's honored that the uh, riots should be named after the 1619 Project that won the Pulitzer Prize for lying. They they actually have that now. They don't give Pulitzer Prizes for news. You really lied well. You created a narrative that could hurt Trump, so here's your prize. And uh, yeah, look ashamed, but go ahead and announce you have a Pulitzer Prize. So... Sean King, who is the big BLM supporter, uh, he, he's got a very checkered past. He was one of the big instigators in the Michael Brown Ferguson shooting, claiming that Michael Brown was actually not attacking the police, which we now know he was attacking the police. But he tweeted this out. He said, he said, yes, I think the statues of the white European they claim is Jesus should also come down. They are a form of white supremacy. They always have been. In the Bible, when the family of Jesus wanted to hide and blend in, guess where they went? Egypt, not Denmark. Tear them down. All murals and stained glass windows of white Jesus and his European mother and their white friends should also come down. They're a gross form of white supremacy created as tools of oppression, racist propaganda. They should all come down. And he's just lying. And the guy, you know, the guy has a, had a past as a, a pastor of some sort. So there's some uh, rationality somewhere inside that head. But obviously everyone sees Jesus differently. He was a Jew. He was a Middle Eastern Jew. That's what he was. Uh, if you saw him today, you would say, oh, who's that Jewish guy? And they would say, oh, that's Jesus of Nazareth. That's what he was, but everybody sees him differently. And what a shame, what a terrible thing to look into the face of God and only be able to see the color of his skin. That is a very, very ugly place to be, but that's what happens when you follow the Marxist road. You get into a very ugly place. But more than this, more than this, what you are seeing is the confidence of this moment of madness, and you're seeing the lack of confidence on the right. And those are important things, but we're going to step back a little bit and we're going to see whether that confidence is justified. And we're going to talk about what's going to happen next when you get a better look at the big picture. You know, I have this thing that I talk about. I I probably have talked about it on the show before. I can't remember. So it's probably been a while. I call it the one run rule. I get it from baseball uh, when there used to be baseball. Uh, You know, if you ever look in the dugout when one team is ahead one run, they're confident, they're talking, they're kidding around, they're joking with you, they're playing pranks on each other in the dugout. You look at the other dugout and they're depressed and they're looking down. Now, one run in a baseball game is nothing. One swing of the bat ties up the game. And then the minute that happens, the mood changes. And what I get from this is the fact that human beings are very keyed into the present. They are very keyed into the the moment, and they don't understand how quickly the moment can change, especially when you step back and you think, oh, look who's coming up in the next inning. Or, you know, this pitcher has been giving up home runs to this guy forever. You know, all these things can just change instantaneously. So what are we watching right now? Well, one thing that I told you about a long time ago was as the uh, virus lockdown, the yellow flu, the yellow fever lockdown comes to an end, people are going to start to go nuts. I mean, this is something I told you about before it ever happened, before there was any sign of it, that when you have a crisis, when everybody's t- locked down, the first thing you think is, all right, you know, I got my head in, I'm in the game, I understand this is going to be a problem, so I'm, I'm tough, I'm ca- called in, we're going to start to, we're going to teach the kids to p- cook, I'm going to, you know, b- do all kinds of projects with the kids, I'm going to do, you know, clean up my house, I'm going to change my life, everything like this. When that lockdown, when that crisis ends, 
before you cross the finish line. That's when people go crazy. So this is a moment of high emotion. The story we're seeing now of the toppling statues and the riots and everybody saying Black Lives Matter and yes, police are just running around everywhere killing uh, black people. That's what the police are doing. That's their job. I come to work. What's the time to go to work killing black people? All that mythology that's in people's heads, this idea that America is a racist country, the 1619 idea that we're founded on racism, that we're inherently racist, which is a lie. It's, I mean, it's just an untruth. But the fact that this induced madness caught on right now, there's a reason it's all one story. It's not two stories. It's one story of people in this situation where they were primed to go mad, where everybody is trying to make them mad, where the media is gaslighting them into insanity. And it worked. So everybody's a little crazy. And all those riots and people, you know, people... You know, it's like when you when your women are battered, you know, they start to think like, why? What did I do wrong? You know, when you beat people up, when you threaten them with violence, they get scared. They start to see things from your side. Okay, on the other side of this, on the other side of this is the fact that Donald Trump has, I feel, been a little bit too restrained, a little bit too laid back in what he's saying and what he's doing, not in what he's tweeting. These kind of wild tweets, these tweets that are still fighting personal fights, which is a strategy from the last election that I don't think is going to work as well this time. Uh, He's been kind of all over the place. And there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people in the GOP who were very, very comfortable with the way things were. The deep state expanding, laws being made by regulatory agencies and by the Supreme Court, the the complete destruction of our constitutional rights and our constitutional systems, and the process of globalization. It didn't bother them that there were people committing suicide en masse in the middle of the country. That didn't bother them. You know, they kind of, they didn't even know about it until a researcher stumbled on it. They didn't even know that people were in despair. They were looking, well, the, the, you know, unemployment rates are going down, but they weren't looking at the fact that they weren't really going down. It was really just the news media uh, twisting basically the numbers to make Obama look good. So they were very comfortable with that system. You know, you never get unelected if you never have to pass an unpopular law. If all you have to do is go on and say, you know, I'm a Republican and I hate the Democrats, but you don't have to do anything. You don't ever have to pass a law. You never get unelected. So they were very comfortable with that. They were very comfortable with giving up American sovereignty to international organizations. All of that was fine. And now Trump has come in and he's trailing in the polls and they think he may be uh, um, vulnerable. And they're thinking, if I just keep my mouth shut, if I don't say too much, if I don't get behind Trump, then when Trump's gone, they won't be able to say you were Trumpy and therefore you have to go the next time out. They won't make me look bad for supporting Donald Trump. They support Donald Trump when they're afraid of him, when they're afraid, really what they're afraid of is his followers who will punish them and vote them out of office, which has happened. And they support him when they're afraid of him. But when they think that maybe he's weak, maybe he's politically weak, they start to lose their nerve. And also they liked what was there before. They liked the fact that the constitution was going down the drain because the constitution put them on the dime to do stuff. And they didn't like that. So this is the moment when they're afraid of Sean King. And Sean King is thinking, yeah, I'm going after Jesus. I'm not just going after Andrew Jackson. I'm not just going after that George. Never mind George Washington. I'm going after God. I'm going to bring down God, man. And that's how powerful I am. That's what Sean King is thinking. This is my moment. God is through. It's Sean King time now. That's what he's thinking. But is that really what's going on? Because the mo- because madness passes. When these moments pass, madness does pass. So for one thing, the economy is starting to look pretty good. 
You know, everybody's worried because, you know, they, they call economists economy the uh, the gloomy science because economists are always worried. And of course, they're worried. You know why they're worried? They don't know anything. There is no uh, there is no such thing as economics. There's no science of economics. It's just guys going around going, well, I don't know. It looks pretty good, but now it might be bad, but then it may be good. That's that's economics. That's what they teach you in economics to sit there and go like, yes, well, the indications are good, but could be bad. But they're also bad and could be good. So that's what we're looking forward to. That's what they teach you in economic economic school. So they don't know anything. But the indications, in fact, are very good. The economic activity around the world is stabilizing. The tech stocks, which were doing very well, which were keeping the stock market afloat because they weren't suffering as much because they didn't need people to come to the office uh, as much. Those have been doing very well. But now uh, there's a wider mix of stocks doing well. So the indications are good. You know, we don't know. We don't know. We're, you know, but we can look for the media to try and spread terror about the uh, Chinese flu and all and Kung flu. They're going to spread the terror about that. But, you know, their terror is not really good. They're talking about cases spreading, but cases are supposed to spread because the lockdown was just going to flatten the curve. Now the curve is going to go up as we come out of our houses. We know that. But deaths seem to be down and it seems like it's losing a little bit of its mojo, which is really important. It seems like it might be getting weaker uh, as it's as it goes on. So so we'll see. Also, of course, as you heard here, because you get tomorrow's news today on The Andrew Clavin Show, as you heard, things went south in Seattle with what is now called the CHOP, the organized protest, because they didn't like it being the autonomous zone, because when you're autonomous, you can't get your welfare and your cops. You know, you can't get all those things that you get from the governor. government. So here's the way CNN, here's the way the news media has been covering this, interspersed from our friends at, uh, at Newsbusters. Uh, they put out this montage. It's interspersed with little bits of reality. But here's the way that the news media has been covering Seattle uh, versus a little bit of reality is cut 12. Has there been violence there? No, it's largely peaceful. Rapes, robberies, and all sorts of violent acts have been occurring in the area they were not able to get to. The Seattle Times is calling this an experiment in alternative community. So do I get a pass to get in there or? Well, this space is right now held for just black folks. Oh, just black, okay. It feels like you're at a street festival, quite frankly. You have barbecues going on. There's hot dog stands. There's gardening taking place. So now, faced with growing pressure to crack down on an occupied protest zone following two weekend shootings, Seattle's mayor said Monday that officials will move to wind down the block's long span of city streets, taking over two weeks that President Donald Trump asserted is run by anarchists, but only because it's run by anarchists. Mayor Jenny Knucklehead Durkin said the violence was distracting from, it was distracting, the violence was distracting. I was reading, I was reading, and then there was violence and I was distracted. It was distracting from the changes sought by thousands of the mostly peaceful rioters, the mostly peaceful rioters who oppose racial inequity and police brutality and don't know anything about those things, but do want to spread Marxists, which they also know nothing about. So what happened to the block party in the summer of love, right? What happened to the block party? It doesn't work. Things don't work. I always tell you, reality has a voice. Reality is slowly beginning to reassert itself. And this is like an important thing. If the economy should continue to come back, which I think it will, and I've thought it has, 
remember, this is something I've been thinking is going to happen from the beginning. I, I said, you know, the economy was shut down for false reasons. And now there's no reason for it not to come back. There's except for, of course, the slow uh, release of people from their uh, houses as that comes out, as that slows, as that keeps going, the economy, I believe, will come back. And that is going to help Donald Trump as well. The press is going to do everything they can to stop it because they want to do any. They don't care if the economy crashes. They don't care if you're starving. What they care about is whether uh, Trump gets defeated. And that's what you're going to see. All right, let's stop for a minute and talk about Ring, a great, great uh, company that really helps keep your house secure with uh, video phones that you can tap into from any place you are. For instance, I know you're traveling around a lot now, so you can travel from the living room to the bedroom uh, to the kitchen, and you can always <laughs> look at who is at your front door or anywhere your house. It's a way of protecting the perimeter of your house. And in the middle of the night, if you wake up and you hear a noise, if you're worried, you can look around your house just using your phone. If anybody is out there, you can talk to them. Video doorbells let you answer the door and check in on your home anytime. You can keep an eye on your doorstep where there are all these deliveries. We had this happen in our neighborhood the other day. Somebody just stole a package right off the, the doorstep, so you can keep track of that. Uh, and outdoor security cameras can help you check on every part of your house and never miss a moment. Smart lighting brightens up blind spots and makes sure you always come home to a brightly lit house. Get a special offer on the Ring Welcome Kit. When you go to ring.com slash Claven, the welcome kit includes the Ring Video Doorbell 3 and Chime Pro. It's all you need to start building custom security for your home today. Just go to ring.com slash Claven. That's ring.com slash Claven. Anyone comes to your home, just immediately get on that thing and say, how do you spell Claven? And they will tell you it's K-L-A. That's what they'll say. I want to remind you that tomorrow is Mailbag Day. Uh, you want to subscribe to DailyWire.com. You know, can do you guys know if you get a reader's pass, can you be in the mailbag? I know you can, obviously, with an all-access uh, pass, but there is also a reader's pass, which is cheaper. It's a value for only three bucks a month, and you get the first month for 99 cents. That gets you access to our mobile app, articles ad-free, and access to exclusive editorials like Ben's 11 leftist myths about American history. So go to dailywire.com and sign up for that, and sign up so you can be in the mailbag. How do you get on the mailbag? Go to dailywire.com, hit the podcast button, hit the Andrew Clavin podcast, hit the little mailbag uh, symbol, and then you can ask me anything you want. You can ask me about your personal life. You can ask me about religion. You can ask me about politics. All my answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life. Will they change your life for the better? <sighs> God, who knows? All right. The other thing that's going on that I think is going to have a big effect is Trump seems to be awakening from his sleep. The Kraken wakes a little bit here. Trump seems to be coming around to understand that he has got to talk to the people. Now, you know, we covered that rally uh, yesterday that he had in Tulsa and people were saying, well, there were empty seats and there were empty seats. But it also turns out it, it had a record audience on Fox News of 8 million people. Uh, they claim the White House claims something like 20 million people saw it on all their different uh, platforms, which is an amazing number of people. So that's something like you really have to watch for. We don't really know how many showed up. So people were afraid of the, the virus. And obviously the press uh, went out of their way to do that. But he had some really good moments at that rally. And uh, and like I said, some stuff was a little too personal. He needs to understand that this is a moment when he needs to talk to the country. But he started to get the narrative right. And remember, the politics doesn't even start in this country still, even though it's an incredibly political time. The actual race doesn't start until September. 
That's when people start paying attention, when they start making up their minds and people just wait and they don't do it. Yeah, I know, you know, you and I who are very keyed into politics, we're always paying attention. It's just not true of everybody. Not everybody is paying attention to the actual race and thinking, what am I going to do here? How am I going to make this decision? And it's still a binary decision. And Joe Biden is still a wooden doll like Pinocchio, right? So he had a couple of good moments and he's starting to come around and get what the narrative has to be. Let's just play cut to this is from his rally and then talk about what he's doing now. Joe Biden and the Democrats want to prosecute Americans for going to church, but not for burning a church. They believe you can riot, vandalize and destroy but you cannot attend a peaceful pro-America rally. They want to punish your thought, but not their violent crimes. Bingo. I mean, that is good stuff. That's good material. And it's it's true. I mean, that's the wonderful thing about, you know, Donald Trump is when he says that stuff and he's backed up by the truth. Nothing the media can do to stop him if they get it out. They were trying to censor him on obviously on CNN and MSNBC. But, you know, 20 million people, if, if they really had 20 million people on all their uh, platforms, that's a lot of people watching, a lot of people dedicated. And there's no you know, they keep talking about the enthusiasm gap. There's no enthusiasm for Biden. How could there be? I mean, really, seriously, how could there be for Joe Biden? The guy has some kind of uh, deteriorating mental condition. Uh, he's a dishonest person. He's always been a dishonest person. If the left ever takes a clear look at him, he has been not uh, He has been not a, you know, if they're going to tear down George Washington, who gave them the very freedom to tear down his statues, they're going to tear down George Washington. What are they going to do with Joe Biden when they realize he has not been a friend to the far left. And even if they think, well, we're going to put him up there and he's going to be this kind of clacking ventriloquist dummy who looks like a mainstream Democrat while the far left does everything. A lot of people are not going to show up for that. That's a pretty, um, you know, a pretty Marxist strategy. And not everybody on the Democrat side is a uh, a Marxist. Now, Trump has announced, he says, I've authorized. Well, let's play what he says uh, about the vandals pulling down the statues. This is uh, cut four. Last night, we stopped an attack on a great monument, the monument of Andrew Jackson in Lafayette Park. And I just want to thank law enforcement. They did a great job. We're looking at long-term sentences under the act. We have a very specific monuments act. And we are looking at long-term jail sentences for these vandals and these hoodlums and these anarchists. They're bad people. They don't love our country. And they're not taking down our monuments. He says, I have authorized, he tweeted, I have authorized the federal government, this is today, this morning, to arrest anyone who vandalizes or destroys any monument, statue, or other such federal property in the U.S. with up to 10 years in prison for the Veterans Memorial Preservation Act or other such laws that may be pertinent. This action is taken effective immediately, but may also be used retroactively for destruction or vandalism already caused. There will be no exceptions. Well, if he does this, if he does this, it is a sign that he's waking up because you know, I don't I never like to blame advisors. I, I always hate this thing where they say it's not the king. It's the king's advisors. You know, if you're the king, you make the decisions. So it's on Trump what he does. But he has just been slack about this. You can't just tweet law and order over and over again. You really have to take control of those things of which you can take control. You can't tell people how to run a city. I think he did the right thing by letting the Seattle uh you know, zone collapse on its own. That was the right, smart thing to do. You didn't need gunfire in there uh, coming down. That's not the kind of thing we want. You know, we don't want to look. 
as awful as these people are, they're Americans. I want them to survive, but I want them to learn a lesson. And I think the best way to let them learn a lesson is to find out what happens when they put their plans into operation. So I think that's a good thing. This is also a good thing. You should not be allowed to tear down statues. And, you know, it's it's really important. You know, people keep this is the this is the weakness of the Republicans. People keep saying, well, you know, some of these Confederate statues were put up by Southern racists who wanted to say to black people, even though uh, we lost the Civil War, this was a loss. This was a great cause and a lost cause. And we're not these Democrats saying this, of course, you know, we're not going to let go of the things we're fighting for. The Democrats, you know, they were trying to tear down the statue of Andrew Jackson who was a slave trader, in fact, and before he became president. And he was the founder of the Democrat Party. We should remember that. They're tearing down the founder of the Democrat Party. Andrew Jackson founded the Democrat Party. All these people that we're talking about were Democrats. All these racist people were Democrats. And some of them, the Confederates, all Democrats, everyone, all the people who put up these statues, Democrats, all the people who were trying to intimidate black people, Democrats, all of them, everyone. So, there, there are people saying on the right, Republicans saying, well, you know, some of these statues are egregious. You know, I mean, the Confederacy did hold slaves. These statues were put up for bad reasons. My question is this. Why should we have this conversation with Marxists? Why should we have this conversation with Marxists? If you're part of Black Lives Matter and you're a Marxist, right, so you're hiding behind this racial issue to push Marxism, you are actually participating in a philosophy that has slaughtered tens of millions of people, maybe even a hundred million people all told. You are participating in that philosophy. The people who live in these cities now, who walk past the statue of Robert E. Lee, they're not participating in that philosophy anymore. They're not participating in that philosophy. It's part of their history. It's part of America. It's something that happened. We should remember it. I think we should have all the, I think we should leave everything up. I'm just in favor of not touching anything because I'm I'm, uh, cynical about the people doing it and why they're doing it. Why should we have a conversation about Robert E. Lee with any Marxist who is literally in this moment participating with a philosophy of mass murder? That's what that's what I don't understand. So why does not the GOP say this all the time? And this is another reason why I think the time of madness may pass and may pass faster than guys like Sean King think. Like Jesus may come back a little faster than Sean King thinks they will. He will. Because th- this is just, you know, you, it, every conversation in, in politics is not just about the conversation. And this is a way that people fall into these traps. It's also about who you're having the conversation with, who you're talking to. If you're talking to a Marxist, what right does he have to criticize, to criticize any of the things that have been built by Americans, that America is flawed? Look, I mean, this is the, this is the thing about the left. The left gets hysterical like a little girl over things that we all know. You know, we all know that some men are not as manly as other men. That doesn't make them women. We all know that every country in the world has flaws. That doesn't make them a bad country. They're confusing countries that were truly bad, run by truly bad regimes like China, uh, that is now run by a bad regime, Russia, now run by a gangster regime, with countries like this that have struggled and stretched and fought within ourselves to make the country what it is supposed to be, to live into the meaning of our creed. We have struggled with that. Why should we have a debate with Marxists, with any Marxist? Why should Black Lives Matter, not the saying, the organization, why should Black Lives Matter have 
any legitimacy, any role in a debate when they participate in a philosophy that has left a hundred million people dead. That's what I don't understand. It's like a Nazi telling me that he doesn't like my shoes. You know, it's like a Nazi telling me he doesn't like the way I dress. It's possible I don't dress that well. You know, that's possible. Why should I have that conversation with a Nazi? You know, and th this is what this is the reason that I think we're going to see. We're going to see who remains sane and who remains courageous enough to speak up, to come forward and say in this moment, I will not be intimidated. Tom Cotton, Josh Hawley, Matt Gates. These are the people who aren't afraid to be associated with Trump, aren't afraid to. Tom Cotton's not afraid to criticize Trump. And they're the ones we're going to have to remember because this moment will pass. The one run rule is in effect and things can change very, very quickly. Come over to dailywire.com and subscribe. Really take the Reader's Pass subscription, but get the subscription that allows you to be in the mailbag so we can talk tomorrow. If you want to send in, last week we didn't get any video uh, questions, but if you want to send in a video question of under a minute, uh, we're happy to play that. We, will, we won't discriminate. We will play video questions and we'll also play written questions and I will answer them all and all your problems will be solved. So come over to dailywire.com. <laughs> That's another satisfied customer. Come over to dailywire.com and subscribe. So when the smoke clears, when the madness clears, when the madness of coming out of lockdown clears, when people start to go back to work and the economy starts to, to recover, as I really do believe it's going to very uh, pretty quickly, when that starts to happen, now you look around and you say, well, who said what? Who did what? Because this is the other thing. People depend on our short memories, but in a way, it's funny, in a way, the constant news cycle, the endless news cycle has... Um, has in some ways made everything go by in a blur, like you forget what happened two months ago or, or two weeks ago. Uh, there's been so much news. There's so much news coming through the pipeline all the time that you're always paying attention to what's happening right this minute. But in another way, of course, it's kept our memory alive because everything is on video. That's why Jimmy Fallon and Kimmel are, are suffering because they did, you know, some blackface video. And now, you know, as <laughs> off topic, but just uh, Jimmy Kimmel is being attacked for using the N-word during a song where he was imitating a rapper. I'm sorry, that's not using the N-word. That's not racist. There's nothing racist about that. There's nothing racist in doing a thing in blackface if you're not making fun of people who are just playing a character, which he was doing. I hate to defend these people because I feel they're being hoist with their own petard, and I can't help but laugh to watch them blow themselves up with their own bottle rocket going back, uh, you know, up their, up their own spine. You know, so it's it's hard to defend them, but I'm I'm not going to become part of cancel culture. I don't want any cancel culture. I don't want anybody canceled. I don't want any uh, statues torn down. I don't want any of it. And I'm just I'm disgusted. I'm disgusted with the people who sign on, no matter what side they're on, even if they think it's clever, even if they think it's cute, even if they think it's getting back at the people who deserve it. I am disgusted. So here's Tom Cotton. I've been talking about him. Let's play a little bit of him, talking about these statues. Uh, that, again, I don't see why we should debate statues with any Marxist about anyone, anybody who's involved with Antifa, anybody who's involved with Black Lives Matter, any more than I think we should debate them with anybody who's involved with a white supremacist group. So here's Tom Cotton talking about this. Cut eight. Witness the events of just this past weekend where mobs tore down statues of George Washington and Ulysses S. Grant. When you tear down statues of Washington and Grant, it's not about the Civil War. It's because you hate America. 
Bingo. And indeed, these rioters hate America. In Portland, where they tore down the statue of Washington, they also spray-painted on him the date 1619, a reference to the New York Times' revisionist anti-American history project. See, now those are the voices we're going to remember, right? Now, I just want to compare that to a moment, for a moment, um, with, with Andrew Cuomo, the love gov. They love Gov. They love him. They just love him. They've just been, the, the, the news media has been promoting him. And by the way, you know, now we know with the news media, because now they've shown themselves, because they were in this moment, they were so confident that they weren't afraid to show themselves as they are by dumping Tara Reid, by accusing Trump of spreading the virus after celebrating the protest. They have just exposed themselves in this moment because they were one run ahead. They exposed themselves. And now we see where they, we're not going to do the story anymore of them being hypocrites. They're not hypocrites. They are left wing fascists. They are the mob. We said this yesterday. They are the mob. So now we know. So here's the guy they, they call the media Cuomo-sexual because they just love Cuomo so much. He's asked about the statues and the vandalism and the people tearing down, you know, committing vandalism and destroying things and destroying things that don't belong to them. Property that belongs to all the people and these individuals taking the law in their own hands and tearing down things that belong to the entire city or the entire county or the entire state and sometimes the entire nation. And here is what the love gov Andrew Cuomo says is cut five. People are making a statement uh, about equality, about community, uh, to be against racism, against slavery. Uh, I think those are good statements. And um, it depends, you know, can you overdo it? Of course you can. But uh, in New York, I don't think we've overdone it. And I think that I think it's a healthy expression of people saying, let's get some priorities here and let's remember the sin and mistake that these this nation made and let's not celebrate it. So, again, you're having a conversation. Are we celebrating the wrong things? Which is, you know, look, there are all kinds of conversations. You have as a free country. You should have all kinds of conversations. But you can't have, that's not having a conversation when you pull down a statue. That's not having a conversation. It's vandalism. A it, statue does not belong to you. It belongs to all the people who paid for that statue. It, it, it's insane that this guy is saying that. It is insane that somebody at the New York Times, Nicole Hannah-Jones, is saying that it's not violence if it's against property. It's insane to have Chris Cuomo, Andrew's brother, saying, you know, what, who, whoever said that peaceable uh, protests should be peaceable, you know, that kind of thing. So this is, this is the other thing that's happening. They are going to try and sell the narrative. The left is going to try and sell the narrative that Donald Trump is to blame for anything that goes wrong. But surely this is localized. This is a localized problem. What has happened in New York is the fault of guys like Andrew Cuomo and Bill de Blasio. That the, the epicenter of this disease is the fault. It's their fault. That in Michigan, where Uber Stormfuhrer Gretchen Whitmer uh, has kept people shut down for years at this point, they're having one of the worst records, one of the worst records in the Chinese flu. So, you know, that's that's going to be a point. Kaylee McEnany, our, the species lady, uh, <laughs> the hot blonde who rips the spines out of men, uh, she was talking about this, that, you know, this is a federalist system. The responsibility for keeping the peace, the responsibility for arresting rioters, for stopping vandalism, it, it really does start at the local level. This is cut one. 
It is the responsibility of governors to protect their states, to police their streets. The police power rests at the state level. Um, and we expect mayors to step up and to do their job, and governors to step up and do their job in the mold of President Trump, who secured D.C. after a night of lawlessness um, two weeks ago. Um, finally, the defund police movement is misguided. It will only hurt the vulnerable citizens of American cities the most. It's sad, and it is shameful. You know, and there's another aspect of this, too, is that is the unfairness of it. I, you know, I, I do have a I, I do have a heart for like the, the black cause. I, I blame so much of it on the Democrats and, and on their policies. Not just I'm not going back to the Jim Crow and the slavery stuff. That's fun. That's fun to razz them about. But the, the thing that really does get me is the great society policies that really have crippled people, broke the feminist policies that have broken families. Those are the things that really are destructive to black lives. So our our colleague and friend Matt Walsh uh, tweeted out this this viral video of a guy, a, a rapper in Michigan, uh, took pictures of his brother just beating the crap out of a white guy in a Macy's, right? Just beating him up out of in a Macy's, and and Walsh retweeted it, uh, saying, "Well, if the if this was a." a white guy beating up a black guy. This is all we'd be talking about. And Donald Trump retweeted Matt. Okay. So Walsh has now been retweeted by, by the president of the United States and S CNN went nuts. They just, uh, we're discussing this play. This, uh, this is number three, I think. And this is another example of something that president Trump is doing apparently to fan the flames and sort of, you know, exacerbate these racial tensions that we're already seeing play out throughout the country. And racial tensions is generous. These are overt and egregious acts of extreme racism. The news for Bubba Wallace is just one example of what we've seen. And, you know, I think that what's interesting is the president likes to lament the fact that he thinks news against him is fake news. But he's consistently only pushing one side of the narrative on this. What, what garbage? First of all, it's a lie. That's not that's not true. It's is it not true that he hasn't shown sympathy uh, for the people who have been hurt by the police, put it out his own executive order on police reform. He's done all the thing, all those things. But why why should a, a white man be beaten up by a black guy? And, and, you know, there are excuses that they say they say that the white guy used the N word uh, and Macy says, no, there was absolutely no instigation for this. However, even if he did. It's no, you have no reason to actually beat a guy at that level for that. I mean, I can understand screaming back in his face. It's an ugly thing to do, but no, no. And, and so how can, how can you possibly say, how can you possibly say that if Donald Trump speaks up for all the people in America, all the people in America, no matter what color they are, that he is making the tensions worse, especially coming from CNN, who have actually called for riots, who have actually praised riots. And they're going to turn on Donald Trump and say he's making the system work. So at some point, I just believe this stuff starts to filter through. We're going through a moment of madness, right? We don't forget this. This is actual induced psychopathology. This is induced psychopathology. But these things pass. And when they pass, we will remember who said what. And who stood up for whom? All right. I'll take a, a final uh, reflection. You know, really, really interesting piece in the Wall Street Journal today about police brutality by a guy, a Harvard economist uh, named Roland Fryer Jr., Okay, and he says that he's been misquoted, and I've quoted his research uh, before because he did find out he went to study violence against black people and found that uh, fatal force in the people in the forces that he studied was not used uh, more 
against black people than it was against white people. And he was shocked by that. And a lot of people, especially on the right, and I myself have used that as evidence that there is not systemic racism in the police department. He wanted to correct that, saying that what he did find was that police were more likely, uh, at least in New York City, to use physical force on a black civilian than a white one. And this did not uh, have anything to do with the level of compliance they were getting. So that even when black people complied, uh, there was more physical force used against black people. And he says, uh, he says very honestly, I thought it was really good. He said, honestly, people who invoke our work to argue that systemic police racism is a myth conveniently ignore these statistics. Racism may explain the findings, but the statistical evidence doesn't prove that that explains the findings. And he says he's a Southern black guy and he feels that in his heart, he feels that it, there is racism. And, I, and I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. You know, I know I've talked to a lot of police. A lot of police deal with a lot of black crime and I'm sure it gets under their skin. And this is no matter what color they are, by the way. It really doesn't actually matter. Uh, after a while, they start to go into these neighborhoods. And as I've said before, it's not black people. It's not black people. It's the underclass, right? Because uh, any any black guy who has worked his way out or maybe came from better circumstances, you know, looks at the people in the underclass and thinks, ah, you know, that's not me. That's not me. And it does. And if if you're in an urban situation, because there's plenty of white underclass in this country as well, and if you deal with them, then that those are the people you hate. But if you're in an urban situation with a large black underclass, then those are the people you dislike. And of course, if you're a black guy who works his way out, you don't want to be identified with them. Who does? Who wants to be identified with people who are committing all that crime? So the situation is incredibly, incredibly complex. And all I want to say about this is the guy is right. The guy should not, we should not quote him out of context. We should put the whole context forward. I do understand, I do truly understand that it is a very bad thing to feel that the police are against you. The police have so much power. And I've said from the beginning, I'm always in favor of reforming the police. Much as I love the cops, much as I love most of the cops I've ever met, I do know that they have a lot of power and power corrupts and you got to have a lot of restraint on the police. So I'm in favor of that. And I'm as much as I'm in favor of that, we should not be having this conversation with Marxists, not with any Marxist ever anywhere. Their philosophy is as bad as fascism. It's as bad as fascism, no worse, but it is as bad as fascism. And we shouldn't be talking to them at all. First, First, you have to love America. First, you have to love freedom. First, you have to love democracy and republicanism. Then we can talk. We'll talk more. The mailbag is tomorrow. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director is Pavel Wadowski. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, or head and makeup, by Nika Geneva. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there. Mm-hmm. 